through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Short and sweet this morning, but uh, a lot to unpack there. And uh, yes, I do want to say to you, young children, I know it's listening to a 30, 35 minute sermon, you know, can be long and, and that especially for this front part, this first part, you'd be listening, keep your ears open to what God has to say to you. And the amazing thing is, kids too, that did you guys know that Every word of the Bible, every book is for you. It's God's word and truth for you. I know all of it doesn't make sense right now, but as you continue to grow, it, it will, and it is for you. Awesome. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and Paul, in uh, this section, just as we were talking about last week and, and will be um, in a couple weeks again, is getting to these things uh, that really resemble these ancient household rules that the Greco-Roman world would have. And he does something really remarkable that where it was in these ancient um, Roman and Greek texts that he would be talking to um, the people in authority. And he really subverts that. And he talks to people who then who aren't in authority. And he talks to them first. And he makes some radical claims and, and statements of how now we, we live out the gospel in our lives because of what Jesus has done. You see, all of us, we look for, for benefit and happiness in our own relationships. We all do that. And it's right. And in the parent-child relationship, it's the same way. And in all of our obedience even to God, all of our following him is actually for our joy. I love how uh, I think it's applicable. Jesus says this. He was just talking and teaching the disciples in John 15. And he says this in verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. So I've, I've told you these things that you can be happy, that you can be satisfied as you obey me, as you hear these words and live them out. And he said, also says that, and that my joy may be full. And that your joy my joy in you, your joy will be full. And so this is when he tells children to obey their parents, when he tells parents and fathers how to disciple their children, or whatever it is, it's always for our joy. But rather, us as people, than following God's prescription to find our happiness and joy in life, we look for our happiness in other ways, right? And what is the main, maybe modern parents' primary concern for their children. What does it often be? Um, a pastor, uh, pastor commentator, Matthew Henry, even 300 years ago, he talks about this and he, he, hits, he hits the nail on the head even for parents today. He writes this, he says, but those whose chief anxiety is that their children should be rich and accomplished, right? Isn't that what we want for their kids? Which isn't necessarily wrong, rich and accomplished. He says, Whatever become of their souls must not look for the blessing of God. Those parents must not look for the blessing of God. 
So we, as parents, we can, we can look for their career and their education and their accomplishments first, rather than what is really best for them. Maybe it's we look to live our life through them. Oh, we missed out, you know, or my parents screwed up in this way, and oh, I want my kids to have this. Maybe we just look to get by. Maybe we have, we're simply lazy or passive in our children's lives. Like, raising kids is hard. It's overwhelming. It can be hard, right? Hazel, Isaiah, Sadie? <laughs> They're smiling. <laughs> and so, though, the relationship suffers. And children, it's hard, too, as well. Children, we, we can look, you can look to, to be happy, though, instead of, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to obey my parents. I don't want to honor them. I know better. And so instead, <laughs> instead, they sting themselves with many unnecessary pains instead of listening to the wise advice of their, their parents. They're driven by pride, both parents and children. And that's the center of sin. I think one of the worst parent-child relationships that we see in the scripture where both parties fail to live up to their God-given responsibilities is uh, David, actually, who was a, a man of God. Man of God. Amazing godly man. And he utterly fails, though, in raising up his children. You see this especially in his relationship with his son Amnon and his son Absalom. He failed to cu cultivate a strong, God-honoring relationship with them, with his children. His son uh, Amnon violates his half-sister Tamar. And David, in his, in his passivity, he does nothing. He does nothing about it. He doesn't take responsibility. He doesn't... And eventually, this leads um, to his brother Absalom taking charge in that life. He takes charge, he, and he takes revenge for his sister Tamar, and he kills his brother. And again... David is very passive in discipling, loving, and doing what's best for his son, Absalom. His son goes away, kind of in exile for a while. David's very passive, and eventually he starts to come back into the family, even into relationship, and into back into Jerusalem. And eventually, the fact that he doesn't discipline, he's not active in their lives and doing what's best, this ultimately leads to Absalom leading a coup, um, in the country, a civil war where he sits and takes the throne from his father. And ultimately, this leads to his own destruction. Now, that's the worst of it. A parent-child relationship's gone wrong. And God wants to fulfill these roles of being a parent, of being a child. Why? Because it's not when it's right or easy, but it's for our own happiness. It's for our own happiness. So I, I want us to see this, that God wants children, he wants parents to find happiness through fulfilling their God-given roles. And stay with me here, this is going to be applicable too for adult children, for singles as well. First, I want to speak to children, as Paul does. So young children, listen up. Verses 1 through 3, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In the Lord. Obey your children in the Lord. So that's it's because he wants to love God. He wants us to love God by doing this, to make him look great, to glorify him. 
And we ultimately, you're obeying God, not your parents. That he's the one who's placed them in your life. Um, how many kids have you guys learned or are learning to ride a bike? Ride a bike. Do you know how to ride a bike? Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah, you know. You know. You guys know too? Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no. Who has, who has training wheels? Do you have training wheels? You guys? You have training wheels? Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and you guys, you guys use training wheels, right? Or one, one of them didn't. You just went right to it, right? Well, used to. Okay. You know, no, yeah, you just went straight to it. Yeah, that was, that was cool. But most of all, right, you'll use some training wheels, right? Some training wheels before. So training wheels help get you ready, right, before you're ready to really ride the bike on your own. Now, you're riding the bike, but you have that help, that support system of the training wheels, right? And this is what I believe what probably God does and placing authority figures over us, whether it's our parents or likewise, or something else. We all are our citizens. We have authority figures of the police, the state, governors, presidents. Right? We have bosses, employers. It's the same thing. God places of these to, they're like training wheels. They're like the training wheels in one sense especially, I think, for children, to get used to that they need to obey God. They need to obey God. And so you have the training wheels of these authority figures in all of our lives because we don't like to do that, right? Ever since Genesis 3, we think, all right, I want to be my own king. I want to make my own rules. God says, oh, don't do this. You can do, you can have, enjoy paradise, have fruit from every tree except for this one. But we say, you know what? I wonder if God's holding out on me. I want to be king. I want to do that one thing. And same thing, right? Children, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. It's rooted in this commandment. He says he's, the sixth commandment is part of the fabric of God's law and human nature. But instead, all of us, like a toddler going up to their parents, the king's throne, and pretending and putting a crown over their head that doesn't fit and and expect all right i'm gonna rule now i'm gonna rule that's just like a child or any of us who wants to rule and be our own king in our lives and he says this obey your parents and he reminds them all right there's a there's a implicit there's an explicit promise there's a direct promise right here kids if you want to live long obey your parents but your parents, it's going to go well for you. It's going to be good. That it may go well for you in the land, that you may live long. That's what it says in the Sixth Commandment and the Ten Commandments. And I think uh, John Calvin is, is helpful here. I always think of his, what he says. He says, all right, what if, what if uh, you know, we all know that godly people, their maybe lives are cut short. They die young. But he says, to the extent that you're you're obeying this, you're going to be blessed in your life. You're going to have a good quality of life, even if you don't have a good quantity. And likewise, sometimes uh, children who are rebellious, who go on and continue to be rebellious then against authority, and then they end up sometimes being life, their life is cut short in different ways. But God will honor you. He'll bless you uh, as you honor those in authority over your life. So children, obey your parents. 
This is God's main point, that in children and parents they would find happiness in fulfilling their God-given roles. I remember when, not doing the, uh, I should have done this in a different way, when I was uh, 17 years old, um, and I just got back from this uh, houseboating trip. I got to know this uh, godly Christian girl. She was a year older than me. She was about to be going on to college. And I remember I asked some friends advice and, and I ended up dating this girl. It ended up not being a good thing. It ended up not working out. And I remember thinking back a year later, like, oh man, why didn't I talk to my parents about this beforehand? It was more of like an afterthought of, hey, there's this girl, by the way, guys, that I'm starting to date. She goes to our church, whatever. But why didn't I go ahead of time and ask for advice? It might have been able to help me of like, all right, hey, what's your plan with this? You know, she's about to go off to school in a couple months. How is that going to work out? A long-distance relationship. She was literally 3,000 miles away all across the country. And I realized, man, I didn't, I didn't, it was because this happened in my life that I wasn't really trusting God. I wasn't trusting God because I didn't, wasn't talking to my parents about it. Why didn't I get some advice with them? They were always such an open book with me and really approachable. Young children, young children. It's like this, if I can offer you a, a, a little story. Hazel, Isaiah, Zadie, all the young children. There's, think about shepherds and sheep. Shepherds and sheep. Shepherds put, will put sheep in a, in a fenced-off pen, right? They'll put them in a fenced-off pen. And why should they not go out over the, the fence? Because over on this side, maybe there's a cliff in that fence. And sheep, sheep aren't, aren't too bright. They aren't too bright. And there's a way that we're all, we're all sheep. Um, over here, there are maybe thorns on this side of the fence where it can get their coat stuck in and tear their coat. And sheep, they don't know any better. Sheep also can literally keep on eating until they actually kill themselves. Their stomach becomes so bloated and large that they, they die from that way. They need their shepherds to watch over them, to keep them around the pen. They know they're wiser. Shepherds are taller. They can see the dangers that are out there. They know what's going on. In the same way, your parents are like that. Even though I know you think you know so much better than them sometimes. They know what is best. They know what food is best. And so the same way is also for us, for adult children. That's most of us, uh, many of us also in here, to think, all right, how does this apply, apply to us? You know, it's not so much sometimes uh, obeying, I think, in our culture. It can look different. It's more of the honoring our father and our mother. How do we honor them? How do we honor them? And we do this also in honoring our submitting to our spiritual leaders in our lives too, I think. Some of us maybe don't have uh, mentoring father figures in our lives or parent figures, mother figures. Some of our parents are non-Christians or ungodly. So how does that work out as well? I, here's four quick principles I want to give us on how we can take this into account as adult children. First one is to take care of and not neglect them. To take care of and not neglect them. First Timothy 5, 4, and 8, it says this. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, 
He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so that, in that context, it's talking especially about your, your nuclear family, your immediate family that you're in, that we need to take care of the people in our family. That's, that's good. But I think an extent to, is to help care for our parents, especially our aging parents, how to take care of them. How does that look like? That might look different in different situations, financially or just physically, tangibly able to help them as, say, they age. Uh, it's helpful, too. Uh, in 1 Timothy, it says this as well. Uh, it's a helpful um, to think about also in the same line of thinking. It says, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. Now, this is going to look different in our context, maybe than in the context of 2,000 years ago. You know, they didn't have uh, social security. There weren't bank accounts. There weren't things like that. But I think it's still the same applies. All right, how can, we, how can we bless and take care of our parents, especially maybe as they're aging? I think it's also to listen to them still, to not neglect listening to them. That's the second thing. Proverbs 23:22 says, Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. It's still to listen to them, to try to honor them. They're the ones who gave us life. How can we listen to them? Another way. The third way is to keep relationship with them. As much as it's up to us to keep relationship with them. Don't shut them out of our life, even if they can be difficult. I know some in our church, and for me too at times, um, it's difficult parent-family relationships, right? It can be tough. Family can be tough. But it's encouragement to as long as it's up to us to try to keep those bridges and ties open. Yes, that sometimes we need boundaries in our relationships to have health there, but all right, to keep that relationship open. The Bible encourages us to, as, long, as much as it is up to us. And the fourth one, as long as I've kind of been getting at this, is to care for them as they age, care for our parents as they age. Whether it's, like I said, financially or physically assisting them as they can no longer do that, Again, it's going to look different at different times or situations in different cases. But to look to do that. God made up the world for us in a way for children to obey their parents. And through this teaching, of, we'll find our happiness and joy or contentment as we do that. That he would soften our heart to actually trust him to trust him as Lord and Father, that he's the one who's ultimately in charge of our life. He is in charge of our parents and the authority figures in our lives. So, children, God wants you to find your happiness through fulfilling your God-given role. All right, secondly, let's look at parents. Parents, seek your happiness in discipling your children. Parents, seek your happiness in discipling your children. Verse four, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this he, Paul, um, wisely ends up, he's talking specifically to fathers, as this is a, a, a negative, a fault that in general fathers can have to exasperate their children, to cause them to anger them. And there's a special place where the father has to, and in 
instructing and discipling and leading his family and loving them this way. But we know from the rest of the Bible and other places where Paul says that it's his parents are meant to obviously parent their children. Um, that mothers play a huge part, obviously, in this. We see, um, I want to draw a few ways that parents, uh, three ways where they can exasperate their children. Three ways where they parents, fathers can exasperate their children. One way that we can do this, we see this in the Bible, is favoritism. Favoritism. I think of the patriarchs did a terrible job at this. Man, you look at so many relationships in the Bible or in Genesis, and they were so dysfunctional, right? Isaac favors Esau, and then Rebecca favors Jacob. Jacob, right, with his coat of many colors, right? Uh, for Joseph, Jacob favors his sons, Joseph and Benjamin, over others. We must not do this. I, we can find ourselves easily doing this. I know I, I've seen this with, with fathers and even in myself a little bit. We can do this maybe with our older children as our children are, are growing up. And sometimes, oh, the, the, the older kids can, can do more. They've developed more than, say, some of the younger ones, the toddlers. Um, and so, all right, let me, maybe I'll, I'll play a little bit more often with them or something. But no, we, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do this. Um, I was just talking to a man yesterday who, who, who took me, invited me to this trip. He was talking about how he grew up um, really hating his father, actually, because his father did this, that he favored his uh, two sisters over him and invested more in the relationship with his sisters. And that's something that God had to work in him to forgive his father for. So favoritism can be a thing. A second thing, it can be being overly harsh. I think that's uh, specifically, this is something that he's talking about right here, Paul. You can be overly harsh with our children, exasperate them. I know I sometimes, this is, this is something that I can fail into in a perfectionistic tendency, um, helping my kids to, uh, to try to uh, clean up, right? You guys know sometimes I can, dad can fail with that ask for forgiveness or exasperating them by being critical all right hey help clean up your rooms do this you know but being too hard in that way sometimes so we cannot be overly harsh then as parents thirdly also we can be passive or absent from our children's lives and parents we can all do this and i think fathers especially can be right uh, passive and absent father instead of being actively involved in their lives, knowing them. How can you bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord unless you know them, you have relationship with them, you know their joys and their sufferings, their sorrows. If our children are frustrated, if they're exasperated, then it's not going to be a benefit to them, our parenting, or to us. But God wants it to benefit us and them. He says, bring up but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This encourages parents to nourish, to nurture, to bring up their children. Both parents need to do this. Father can lead the way, but for parents, I think it's good for us not to outsource this, not to outsource this of, oh, hey, the parents or, or the, the school or the Christian school or the church, they need to disciple our kids. A lot of parents can fall into that. I've seen that. But family worship, family discipleship, 
loving and discipling, growing up our kids, is God's primary means of discipling children. His primary means, not primarily the church's responsibility. Now, the church should, and we want to equip you to help do this, to come alongside you to do this. So, parents, do you want your children to obey? Then we need to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. It says, gently instruct. Gently instruct. That's another thing that, parents, that we can do. To instruct means to warn, to offer admonition, to counsel our children, to get into their lives, be active in their lives. We're building a foundation. It can be monotonous day in and day out how to do this. But uh, I like how um, uh, John Chrysostom, uh, the best, probably arguably the best preacher um, in the first millennia, the first thousand years of Christianity, he says this, he says, uh, let us give them a pattern. Let's give our children a pattern, a model. And let us make them from the earliest age apply themselves to reading the scriptures. So how can we help our children from the earliest age to read the scriptures. So that's reading the Bible to them, ourselves, and helping them to do this. And even back then, you know, so long ago, he says, he says, but you guys think as constantly, I, I'm repeating this to you, he says to his congregation, I am looked on as trifling, as foolish. I'm looked on as foolish. But this is so big, right? This is so important that we can read the Bible, that we can read the scriptures from, with our children. We can encourage them to do that. So read the Bible yourselves also to model this. I remember surveying, uh, I was a youth pastor for, uh, for like 10 years basically, and I remember surveying many of my students, and it was interesting, some of the results I get, I, one of the things I asked them, how often do you see your mom pray? How often do you see your father pray? How often do you see them read the Bible? If, if we don't model it for them, if they don't see you doing that themselves, then how, why will they? Right? If, they, if you, they don't see that you really treasure it, it's not something important for you. And as men, I especially want to address you as fathers, and future fathers as well, to set, set the model for this. I think it should be the, the role of the father to, to rise up early, first in the morning, and to hit his knees in prayer, praying for his family, seeking God for himself, meeting with God himself, feeding himself and meeting with his God, so then he can care well for his family. A man who does that is, makes a huge difference. I, I know the family is totally different when I have seen a man doing that in his life, family's life. Next, he says, Paul says, in the discipline of the Lord, in the discipline of the Lord, the discipline of the Lord. That, that word he's talking about there means education, training. It's corrective discipline also. And I want to offer three ways that parents can do this, can disciple their children. Three ways that parents can disciple their children. It can be to read and feed them spiritually. First one is to read and feed them spiritually. There are amazing, great resources out there, especially in the last uh, five, ten years. I feel like there have been more and more, more solid resources. When I've seen a lot of children's resources um, in the past, uh, it's, it's made me sick. It's very just fluffy. They talk about a Bible story, um, but then 
the Bible story, uh, the way they talk about it in the children's Bible or something, I'm like, that doesn't get the point at all of the Bible story. You know, they talk about Noah's Ark, and then, oh, hey, here are these cute animals. They, they don't get the story about what Noah's and the Ark is actually about. But there are some great things out there. Um, there's the Jesus Storybook Bible. That's something that we've used with our kids. Um, the Ology Book. That's a great resource. Uh, we've gone through it a couple times with our kids for ages 5 to 10 years old. The Gospel Story Bible. Or just reading the Bible, playing with them themselves, as well as there, there's so many resources out there. If you want to get asked or want to get some resources, talk to Chelsea or I. Um, I'm sure Gray or Amy, too, have some fantastic ones. Uh, it's reading the Bible just to them, too. Uh, Hazel, you've read the, um, the book of Acts, right, as your favorite book, and you've read it with, with mom, like, no, mom has read it, like, two or three times or something to you? Yeah, you love it. She's like, when are we going to do Acts again? Can you preach on Acts, Dad? I was like, man, we already went through it, like, in our Mishra community group. Um, but yeah, that's good. That's, that's so good. And it's, this is hard. When I've, talk, I've talked to pastors and uh, parents about this, this is so hard to do family worship. It's so hard to do that. But it's, keep trying. Pick a time and stick to it. Keep doing it. Um, maybe for, for you parents, um, a good book to resource to help think about this would be A, a, ne- a Neglected Grace by Jason Helopoulos. Uh, he writes this book about family worship, how to do that, family discipleship. Um, it's a really great thing. Another, another tool, fantastic tool you can use for, with your children, this is something that's been used um, for a long time, for thousands of years by parents, um, is to catechize them. And that's just is a word that means to teach the principles of Christian teaching, of discipline, by question and answer formats. So simple question and answers. Children have an amazing capacity for memory, amazing capacity to memorize. Uh, a great modern example of that is like uh, the New City Catechism. It's a great thing. It has, it's great for adults and it also has a children's section as well in there to memorize scripture as well uh, with them be a great thing all right secondly to pray with them to pray with our children our families not just before dinner um, but we can ask them prayer requests we can ask them prayer requests we can model for them godly prayers how to pray ask them for things to pray for what are things that we can pray for what are things you can pray for in your life in your school with your neighbors Thirdly, you can live missionally with them. You can live missionally with them. You can inspire them to share the gospel as you invite them along and they see you do it with them. You can take them to serve at a food pantry. You can let them hear you pray for the lost. Let them hear you pray for your neighbors. Take them with you to share the gospel or to serve. so many times where I've taken the kids that they've, they've gone around with great zeal and faster than I could to go and hang up uh, door hangers, you know, to spread the news about, about the church. Some things like that way are, are caught, not taught. As they see us model that for that, then they will care for it too. And so for many of you also, though, who maybe aren't parents yet, um, there's a way that we can be spiritual parents, right, to others. 
We're called to, you know, parenting is so similar to discipling. And we're all called as Christians to disciple and do good to other Christians, to encourage them, to encourage them. So we can disciple and mentor younger or less mature believers in the faith. The city needs an army of spiritual parents to help raise up, disciple this next generation. It's getting in people's lives, fulfilling the Great Commission. Uh, we're, I've started a discipleship group, and Chelsea is getting up one, two, and that's a great way to do that. So join a discipleship group and then end up doing that yourself, meeting with other Christians. And that's nothing other than this. It's, it's to meet up with them and do good to them, to help them study the Bible, to help them share the gospel, to help them pray, to help them keep pure and live holy lives, to help others live missionally, to help them love Christ and people better. But being a, a parent, whether it's a spiritual parent or otherwise, is, is costly, right? It takes sacrifice. The best things, the most meaningful things in life do. And children, just like people also that you disciple or do good to in your life, uh, they won't often thank you in the short term, right? It can be a thankless job. But how can we suffer in that? How can we sacrifice and find happiness in fulfilling that role? I want to read a quote here from this uh, Christian journalist, Malcolm Mugridge, that he talks about this. He died in 1990, and this is what he does, he says about, I think, getting at this idea. He says, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on the experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating or painful, right? There is sacrifice. With, he looks at it, though, with particular satisfaction, he says. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything that I've learned in my 75 years in this world Everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction, whether pursued or attained. In other words, if, I were, if it were possible to eliminate affliction from earthly existence by means of some drug or some medical mumbo-jumbo, the result would be to make life, to not make life delectable, more delightful, but to, it would be too banal, too trivial to endure. This, of course, is the cross of Christ he, that signifies that. It's the cross more than anything else that has called me inexorably to Christ. So he says, all right, I've actually found my happiness. I've actually changed the most as I've sacrificed and loved other people. Right? And in parenting, we do that. As Christians, getting in other people's lives and loving them has done that. Right? When you get up and we hear amazing testimonies and stories from other Christians... What is the, the thing that's most remarkable about it? It's not, man, everything was going great in my life, and I grew so closer to God. No, right? It's, wow, I, I had this hardship in my life. There was a sacrifice. There was tough things that happened, and man, then I grew so close to God through that. I changed. I became happier then through that. That's, that's how it works. That's how the gospel works. It's in the fires of affliction, that we actually become most satisfied and happy. And so for parents, it's the same way. For spiritual parents, God wants you as parents, as spiritual parents, to find happiness through fulfilling your God-given roles. Finally, in conclusion, third point, church 
it is for us to seek happiness and looking to God. Seek happiness and looking to God, who is the ultimate, the perfect child and the perfect parent. You see, there is no perfect child. There is no perfect parent. We fail miserably at that. But the center, the pinnacle of all Christian theology is at the cross. We find it, the beauty, the mystery, the glory of the Trinity, right? The Father who sends the Son, the Son who perfectly obeys the Father. This amazing mystery. We see this in uh, Jesus in the garden, right? Jesus, the Son, it, he, he went, he was sent from the Father, but he went totally volunteering himself and lived a human life in total obedience to God. And we see there, he's praying, and he prays that, all right, Father, take this cup from me. I'm about to just drink in your whole wrath against sinful humanity. I don't want to do it. But he says, at the, all right, but your will, not mine, be done. He was the perfect child. And God is the perfect parent, right? The one who we ultimately are obeying when we obey the structure, the authority figures in our lives. He's the one who's working for good for all creation, the just and the unjust. Psalm 84, 11, it says this, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. He's not going to withhold any good thing from you. You can't ultimately find your happiness and your identity as a child or as a parent. We can crush our children that way if we find identity and try to live through them. We can, we'll be crushed, too, by the weight of trying to earn up and measure to our parents' expectations, right? We can't do that. Romans 8.28 gets at this father heart of God toward his children, his sons and daughters. He says this, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So through parenting, through children, through this life, he's making us more and more like his son for our good. He's working all things for our good. What an amazing father that we have. Every good gift is from him. And even the bad things that happen in our lives, he works to our good. And he's the one who makes the greatest sacrifice for me and for you. He sent his son to die. Now, if it was, it was a, a, a thing between a, a criminal and between my son, I'm not going to say, you know what? I'll, I'll sacrifice my son Isaiah so this criminal can live. No, I wouldn't do it. But he sacrifices his son for us. He loves us that much. And so we can trust him. We can trust him by obeying our parents' kids. We can trust him by discipling and mentoring our children and others in our lives. I want to close with this story. Um, of how it works to trust God to find our happiness ultimately in Him. Uh, Brendan Manning, uh, in his book, Trusting Jesus, he, which I, I usually, uh, I wouldn't find your good theology from Brendan Manning, but he tells some, some pretty good gospel stories. He talks about the story of a missionary family, uh, Dennis Rainey, that a missionary family was home from furlough, and they were staying at a lake house with their friend, and on uh, a certain day, uh, dad was 
puttering around the boathouse, and mom was in the kitchen, and the three children, ages four, seven, and 12, were out on the lawn. And four-year-old Billy escaped his oldest sister's watchful eye and wandered down to the wooden dock there, right? Parents' nightmare. And the shiny aluminum boat there out there caught his eye, but he was unsteady on his feet and it landed him in the eight-foot water. He fell down into the water. When the 12-year-old screamed, dad came running out. Realizing what had happened, he dove into the murky depths of the lake and he frantically felt around looking for his son. But frantically, out of breath, he ends up having to come back up the lake two times. Couldn't find him to get more air. He had to return to the surface. Filling his lungs once more, he dives down and then he finds Billy clinging to the wooden pier several feet underneath. He, so he's under the level of the lake. He's clinging down in the water to the, the wooden pier. And so he, he pries his son's fingers loose and he bolts up to the surface with Billy in his arms. Safely, once ashore, his father asks Billy, he says, Billy, what were you doing down there? And the little one just replies, just waiting on you, Dad. Just waiting on you. <clears throat> See, young as he was, this son, he had a history. His father was someone he could trust. That he loved him. That he was accepted. That he would be protected. So it's for us brothers and sisters, that we can trust our Father with our lives. We can trust Him in the different roles as children, as parents, as spiritual parents, as whatever those roles end up being in our lives, that we can trust a good Father who places these people in our lives. Let's go to Him in prayer. Father in Heaven, we pray to You, and we ask that we would seek our happiness, our own good as we live out our responsibilities in this life as children, as parents, as spiritual children and parents who are submitting to, honoring, leading the different ones in our lives. We thank you that we have a perfectly good child, perfectly good son that we can look to, that we can be changed and look more and more like in your son, Jesus that you are a perfectly good father. We thank you for that, God. And we pray that we would look to you more and more in our lives and be, and be changed and trust more to our good and happiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.